Welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending August 27th, 2022. This week, at some point, we have to question the name HBO Max, don't we? I'm Kim Hollis, proud owner of a brand new bright red gaming chair. Hey, Kim, what brand of uh, chair do you recommend? The red kind. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag not sponsored. Also, Tim Brighty, content creator and gamer, now 40% off. And some would argue still too much. (laughs) Also, David Mumpower, published author and media analyst, and watching all his annual subscriptions renew this week. Eight hit in 10 days. What was I doing last August? (laughs) And the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burrell, who's still catching Pokemon as we record. I am going to get my $10.99 worth out of that GoFest ticket. Yeah, buddy. Where the hell is that goddamn Chansey? This week, in our HBO Max Death Watch, things continue to get grim at the streamer. It's been reported that Batgirl and the Scoob sequel have both been getting funeral viewings at the Warner Brothers lot in Hollywood. Good Lord, that's dark. Yeah, um, apparently before the movies go away for good, some insiders are getting to watch these movies. I'm venturing to guess a lot more people are lined up to watch the Batgirl movie than uh, the Scoob Holiday Haunt, but okay. It should be noted that I saw some reporting this week that confirmed what we have suspected for some time. These movies are being erased from history so that the parent company, Warner Brothers Discovery, can get a tax break. Tax write-offs like this are usually applied by the IRS over a number of years because the feds want to be sure that the studio or whomever claims a write-off doesn't then turn around and release the movie after they said they wouldn't. It's like when your car is destroyed in a fire and you say, oh, it's a write-off. If you then show up driving that car, that's a little suspect and the IRS might want their money back. So Warner Brothers Discovery has to prove These movies will never earn money for the studio. And as I read in one article, one way to do that, one way to get the full write-off sooner is to actually destroy all copies of the movie. And that should terrify everyone in Hollywood. How do you even destroy digital copies? I mean, I don't care what they say. I was just about to ask that. It's not... Yeah, it's not like there's, you know, Atari cartridges of the E.T. video game that you can bury in a landfill for, for 30 years. This is this. It's a digital medium now. So right. That? This is like 1990s ideas being employed. Let's be honest. The instant they announced they were going to do this, 75 people made hard copies. I mean, there's <laughs> copies of this around everywhere. I, I'm surprised if it's they're not already on like the pirate sites. It should be noted that when Zack Snyder left in the middle of the production of Justice League to address some family issues he had a copy a rough cut of justice league on his laptop and so should joss whedon have deleted any of zack schneider's video we could have always gone back to zack schneider's original content say what you will of the snyder cut uh but zack schneider had his original footage in the context of batgirl the directors of that movie have clearly stated that they do not have a copy of that movie there may be other out there that do but no one's no one's chimed in to say that they do and so it could very well be that and knowing 
the way things are being run right now at Warner Brothers Discovery, it may very well be that an order has been passed down to delete all digital copies, to erase files from hard drives. And really, that is sickening to me. I mean, come on. What type of respect do you think people give Zasloff to honor that wish? Oh, no, you have to burn all the copy. Wink. Sure, boss. I already burned all of the (laughs) digital files. The other thing I love about that story is you're making it sound like at some point Justice League was being held hostage. And that is so much effort for a product that literally no one's saying likes. I do want to take this to the to the shows, mostly the animated shows, the Cartoon Network shows that were removed from HBO Max. Those, my understanding is, were not removed because of tax reasons. You can't call those a tax write-off, no matter how you twist tax law. Those most likely were removed so that HBO Max and Warner Brothers Discovery, the parent company, wouldn't have to pay residuals. That goes all the way down to like the 200 episodes of Sesame Street that got deleted. There must have been something in those episodes, some music they played, some actor that appeared in those episodes that they've decided in all their pettiness that they decided, you know what, we need to save a few pennies here and there. And really, that is what this is. We're talking about pennies. Let me be clear. It is even worse than that. A guy who legitimately made a quarter billion dollars last year is trying to stop people who need the money for making hundreds, if not a few thousands of dollars. This is as vile as Wall Street gets right here. The only upside of this facet of what is right now a debacle is that should someone else ever get to be in charge of Warner Brothers Discovery again is that they can reverse course and say, yeah, let's let's put those shows back on to our streaming services or make them available for sale on DVD or Blu-ray or what have you. So these shows can still be saved. Batgirl can never be released unless the company pays back the IRS for the tax money that they're getting for, quote unquote, destroying the print. Also, and we did bring this up, I have no doubt, I have no doubt at all that the moment that it was revealed that shows were going to be disappearing from HBO Max, that people started making digital copies and that you can probably find all those shows on all the torrent sites. They're probably the most traded shows on the torrent sites right now. But I point out again that one particular series, one particularly beloved series, Summer Camp Island, had an entire new season in the can that was never released. And that can't be traded on the torrent sites because it was never made available online in the first place. So that series does continue to exist. I mean, it can, but it would be an inside job. And we used to see this a lot during the earlier days of torrents where people within the company would basically take bribes to go ahead and release things. It's not a bribe at this point to do it. You're doing it because it's almost the right thing to do, which is a ridiculous thing to say about a crime. But when your corporation acts in an evil way like this, I've got no problem with you taking that copy and putting it somewhere for people to watch. This is this is an abomination and people within Warner Brothers should do the right thing. I do wish I had specific examples, but things I had noticed on Twitter about this HBO Max basically massacre is content was removed from the service as people were literally watching it. It just stopped playing. And also some of the creators of these these shows do not have like their own copies of it, essentially. So yeah, some of this content is just straight up gone forever. And it's heartbreaking for for everyone involved. Yeah. Yeah, that just sucks. It is unprecedented and it is just contrary to anything that 
Hollywood would expect from the leadership at Warner Brothers Discovery. I can't imagine anyone wanting to work at Warner Brothers right now. And that's not to say anything of, of course, all the layoffs that have happened. Uh, They've cut a bunch of people in their advertising division. They're cutting people in their uh, reality division at HBO Max because Discovery already has a reality division. Why have one at HBO Max? They're cutting people in the technology division. The head of the department that developed the HBO Max app, presumably the department that saved the HBO Max app after its initial disastrous launch, he's gone. And my impression and my understanding is that, in fact, these couple of hundred layoffs so far are just the tip of the iceberg and that a lot of people within the company right now are expecting thousands of layoffs in the third and fourth quarter. I mean, we should also be talking about the precedent here. They have basically come in and said, once you make a film, we're not guaranteeing we're ever going to do anything with it. And other companies will at some point try and use this. They will blanket themselves with this as a shield and try the same thing, which means it is really, really frustrating that nobody within the government is interceding because this is a shameless, and I mean shameless manipulation of tax write-offs And it shouldn't be allowed. This is something that regulation should prevent. But we can't flip this on its head in the same way that when... Jason Kylar put out all the Warner Brothers movies day and date theatrical and streaming. A lot of the talent then had the very clever idea to make sure to include in all future contracts a commitment to release a movie theatrically. And so we can expect that talent is going to demand that in their contracts going forward. And the guilds, the Writers Guild, the Directors Guild, the Actors Guild, they're all going to want the same thing as well. I don't think that any studio is going to look at this backlash against Warner Brothers and David Zasloff and say, yeah, I want to do that too. I'm also wondering now how HBO Max Discovery will handle it when they say we can only afford to release two movies remaining this year. Will they honor those contracts? We're assuming a lot here in good faith from a company that has just shamelessly acted in bad faith a lot. And I realize the past month of this podcast has been really, really hard on Warner Brothers Discovery. And I like to be fair to both sides whenever possible, but wrong is wrong. And this one's pretty black and white. It looks like David's looking ahead at the notes. So let me tell you what he's talking about when he talks about how Warner Bros. Discovery is only going to be releasing two movies for the rest of this calendar year. It was announced earlier this week that two more DC projects, the Aquaman and Shazam sequels, are actually getting pushed into 2023. That leaves us with only two movies, the Dwayne Johnson DC movie, Black Adam, and the Harry Styles and Florence Pugh drama, Don't Worry Darling, coming out in September as the only Now on fire on every press tour in America. Oh, yes. That's right. These are the only two movies that Warner Brothers Discovery is intending to release for the rest of this calendar year. Remember, folks, it's August. And the reason for that is because they don't have enough money to release more movies. The stated reason, we don't believe a word they say. I kind of believe that in a sense, because you have to look at it and realize it costs money to release a movie because you have to run advertising campaigns. About a third of the money spent on any movie is advertising. And it probably costs 40, 50, 60 million dollars to advertise any one of these movies. And they are dead broke. 
It should be noted that there is actually a third movie coming out from Warner Brothers Discovery in this calendar year. And uh, it's not being talked about a lot because it's not going to be an expensive movie to release and it's probably not going to get a lot of marketing. So they figure, okay, let's go ahead and release it as well. And it is the mythical and uh, sometimes discussed House Party remake, which was previously slated to come to HBO Max. We were all scratching our heads as to what happened to that movie. Was this another one that was going to be deleted from history like Batgirl. But no, apparently that one is now going to theaters in addition to Don't Worry Darling and Black Adam. So David Zaslav just figured out he's not the most powerful person involved. That would be LeBron James. But we're also referencing the fact that Karma is apparently trying to take out Zaslav and Olivia Wilde all at one time. You know what, Kim? I'm just going to hand it to you and let you describe what the hell is happening because it's mystifying to me. We mentioned the movie stars Florence Pugh and Harry Styles. What we didn't mention is that it's directed by Olivia Wilde. And she has been on this press tour and also happens to now be dating Harry Styles, the star of the film, who apparently she started dating during the filming of this project. And you Ted Lasso panic attack scene. Yes, to Ted Lasso panic attack scene. Long story short, she was still involved with Jason Sudeikis of Ted Lasso during that time, apparently. During this press tour, Wilde has taken the opportunity to slander Sudeikis and say there was a reason that she left that relationship because he, he in quotes, served papers to her at a big award event that was apparently very offensive, though I, I don't know that he has control over when those are served and was very apologetic almost immediately after. But more to the point, she said that she fired Shia LaBeouf from the project because she wanted to keep Florence Pugh safe. Problem is, Shia LaBeouf has the receipts on the fact that that is not the case, that she more or less begged him to stay on the project and that they could work it out with Florence. And when I say that he has the receipts, he has her on video doing this. So it's not like just text messages, but he has those too. It's a really bad look. This tour is going poorly. Pew only just started even promoting it herself. And there was a lot of speculation prior to this that she has not been happy with the way that any of the people involved in this project behaved. So long story short, this is this is a disastrous press tour and it may be enough to get people interested in the film, but it's also really proven to be bad for Olivia Wilde across the board. And this is one of the two films that Warner Brothers decided they would release theatrically <laughs> this year. <laughs> this this movie was never going to be making Top Gun Maverick money. And uh, no. now I don't know. I feel especially given the continued state of theatrical releases right now. I don't see how this movie lasts more than a couple of weeks in theaters before they start talking about when it's going to be showing up on HBO Max. (laughs) At some point, the law of averages dictates that Zaslav and his team would have to get one of these right, but it hasn't happened yet. So that's not all the bad news. 
Oh Lord! Got to be close. Come on! <laughs> but wait, there's more. Talking about for like weeks. Come on. <laughs> there's, there's there's more, and there's plenty more because we then move on to J.J. Abrams and his uh, production house, Bad Robot, that has a production deal with Warner Brothers and Warner Brothers Discovery. Their shingle is hanging on the Warner Brothers lot right now, and as we're going to talk about later on, Bad Robot had an upcoming project starring Jennifer Gardner that Warner Brothers has first look at and they decided they didn't want it and so J.J. Abrams took it to Apple TV+. Plus. Jennifer Gardner has now walked away from that project apparently because of scheduling conflicts and nothing else. But that means that this project that J.J. Abrams was working on with Bad Robot is now in turnaround and they're trying to shop it around to others. That's not the only project he has that has uh, been canceled this week because Bad Robot was also working on a new Batman animated series, Batman Caped Crusader. That one was going to HBO Max. That's another show that HBO Max has canceled. So that's two more shows in addition to all the other shows previously canceled by HBO Max. That's two more shows that Bad Robot now can scratch off their ledger. It's bad news for J.J. Abrams. It's bad news for Bad Robots. It's bad news for Batman fans. But the joke here is that they are now shopping Batman Caped Crusader to other studios. Because they can. Warner Brothers gets first look at bad robot projects. And if they say no, they can then take it somewhere else. And amongst the people actually looking at this Batman animated series is, you know, streamers like Netflix and Disney+. Plus. So it may very well be that a Batman animated series shows up on a streaming service for another company other than the one that actually owns Batman. Also, J.J. Abrams and the people at Bad Robot have learned an important lesson in contract law. There were a lot of things that were implied and promises made when they came, and they're now learning that when the regime changes, they only have to honor the specific language of the contract, which means the Bad Robot deal that looks so lucrative on paper hasn't turned out to be that way. All they're getting is aggravation and not the money they were promised because none of their shows are going into production. And then the last story, because <laughs> yes, there, there is one more. What? This is mostly just a rumor, but we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that there's rumors abound in Hollywood right now that producer Dan Lin, who's produced the Lego Movie franchise, that's Lego Movie, Lego Movie 2, uh, Lego Batman, and as well as the live-action Aladdin movie at Disney, uh, has been rumored to be succeeding Walter Hamada as the head of DC Films. I'd venture to say right now that this was probably news to Walter Hamada and maybe even news to Dan Lin. It really looks like someone made a list to say these are the most likely people to take over DC films. And Dan Lin, who had previously said that for him, the one that got away was uh, the opportunity to actually become the Uber producer at Warner Brothers and run DC films. So he clearly has an interest in that job. And if David Zasloff wants a guy who is committed to run that operation, Dan Lin would be a great uh, prospect. Plus, having worked on the Aladdin project, uh, Dan Lin worked under Alan Horn. Alan Horn is now an advisor to David Zasloff at Warner Brothers. There's a lot of two plus two equals four going on here, but apparently- And none of it will work. Let me be clear. None of it will work because what they are not saying is that they had people campaigning for this job. There was a lot of politicking, people such as Michael DeLuca, people who matter in Hollywood, and they have just learned in the trades after all their politicking that someone has come in who is in charge of all 
three of the previous Warner Brothers divisions involving DC. And you know what all those people are going to do? They're going to undermine because they're pissed and they're right to be pissed, which means this is not going to be one seamless unit like Kevin Feige does. Instead, this is going to be a lot of fiefdoms fighting each other, which is also why Kevin Feige almost quit Marvel back in the day because Marvel television was run by Ike Perlmuter. It's going to be that times three. It can't work and they know it. And yet they're going to pretend like everything is right for a while because that's all we're doing right now with all these stories is pretending. Yes. And also Dan Lin probably doesn't want the job anyway, because he's seen the way David Zaslav has meddled in all the projects over at Warner Brothers so far. And he probably doesn't want any part of that. You know, who'd be really good for something like this is J.J. Abrams. Is he available? What's Zack Snyder up to these days? (laughs) In our rapid fire, I sure hope you're ready for some football because it's here. And unlike what they've done in the past, Amazon may actually make an effort with their Thursday night football live streams this year. This actually reminds me of a wrestler named Orange Cassidy, who is notoriously sloth-like in his wrestling. And one time he decided he was going to try. And so the crowd just started chanting as loud as they could. He's going to try. He's going to try. Amazon's going to (laughs) try. Amazon's going to try. You know, featuring the live stream prominently on their home screen, using their x-ray technology for stats and player data, auto-playing the game when people launch Prime Video, and the ability to record and play back the game. Wow, Amazon. All you had to do was spend a billion dollars to get those rights to actually get serious about what you're doing here. We're joking about it a lot, but this is very exciting for NFL fans. Because everybody has Amazon access. Everybody except a lot of bars and hotels who were still expecting to play Thursday Night Football through their DirecTV business packages. Fortunately, with about a week to go before the launch of uh, Thursday Night Football, DirecTV and Amazon finally made a deal. And those games are going to be showing up on DirecTV in bars and hotels. Over at Peacock, Universal Studios continues to thumb its nose at exhibitors as they've indicated that the next Halloween movie, Halloween Ends, will be going to the streamer day and date with theaters. Yeah, this makes perfect sense because Peacock has only had one legitimate inarguable success story. Two if you count WWE, which Tim probably would, but they debuted the most recent Halloween movie in theaters and on Peacock, and it both earned 90 million domestically, which was a huge hit since it was during the pandemic, and they also somehow managed to get 1.5 million viewers on Peacock on opening weekend, which, considering there's only 13 million subscribers, that's a staggering accomplishment. So this is the model they should use, and frankly, this is the model everyone should use because the people who go to movie theaters are mostly not the same target audience as the people who stay home and watch things on streaming services. On the other hand, Disney's throwing exhibitors a bone as they've removed James Cameron's avatar from Disney+. Plus. They plan to re-release it in theaters prior to the arrival of the sequel in December. The scary thought here is when you look at the September schedule, there is a real chance, and I mean a real chance that Avatar finishes in the top three some weekend. It might even sneak a win depending on what happens next. So this is a very cagey move all the way around. For all we know, it's so bad for theaters right now. Top Gun Maverick, which has been out for months, may actually be the number one movie over Labor Day weekend. (laughs) I think we all agree we don't like the precedent of things being removed from streaming services for stuff like this, though. Yeah, they didn't remove Rogue One, but they still release it in theaters. 
that was in collaboration with the uh, premiere of Andor on Disney Plus. So it made more sense, I think, to keep it on the streaming service, even though they were also putting it back in theaters. Yeah. And also, no disrespect to Rogue One, it is not an avatar. So differences in scale matter here, too. Mm hmm. And finally, in a surprise to no one who's been listening to this podcast for the last two years, NBC is considering cutting back the number of hours of programming they have in prime time as fewer people are watching broadcast television. Have I said that linear TV is dead yet this week? <laughs> so what may happen is they may give the 10 to 11 p.m. hour back to the local affiliates to do what they wish, probably news. Uh, so yeah, Dick Wolf may have just had a heart attack. <laughs> what does this mean for all the people working on Chicago shows? You have to look at this a different way. You could have five Chicago shows. It's just every week at nine, it's Chicago. You sounded like Richard Gere just then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's that Chancy. <laughs> Hooray! All right. Hey, Tim, is there anything box office-wise you'd like to discuss? Oh, Kim, you're so funny. Yeah, I know, I'm box hilarious. Box office, come on. Movies are dead. I mean, last weekend's winner was a, a Dragon Ball Z movie that made oh. somehow made $21 million, which, hey, good for theaters, but that's really sad. Jeez, you're not joking, <laughs> are you? No. Oh, my no, God. God. Not at all. Yeah, so good job, nerds, but yikes. As I've said before, I expect it to get either you know, maybe add, add some theaters, even though it's still at almost 3,000, or get some promotion. But to push it to 700 million, you could be looking at Top Gun Maverick as your top Labor Day weekend movie. This is almost like pandemic level bad of, <laughs> of what we're about to enter. Besides, you know, you're going to have things that like surprise. Like, yeah, you're, okay, sure, Dragon Ball did fine. Beast opened to 11.5 million last weekend. So, hey, sure, why not? But it's going to get worse before it gets better. And that's all I have to say about box office. This seems like a good time to mention that Cineworld stock price has dropped under 10 cents. Bye, bye, bye. <laughs> <laughs> it's your next meme stock. People, go get it. Yeah, to the moon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's let's just go ahead and move on to the ratings. July 15th to Sunday, July 31st. So just in time next week for whatever shows up on Netflix on August 1st to just crash the ratings charts. But anyway, let's look at the last week of July. And unsurprisingly, the top show is still Virgin River, 2.4 billion minutes for 42 episodes. Yeah, that, that's a monster in the non-Stranger Things department. That's still, you know, that's, that's excellent. I guess there's something for everyone on Netflix. Oh yeah, you just wait. Uh, so second is Stranger Things, of course, 1.8 billion. Still here, again, gonna take forever to slide off the list. Here's some your new content for the week. In third is Keep Breathing, 730 million minutes for six episodes. This is a survival drama series. It says, when a small plane crashes in the middle of the Canadian wilderness, a lone woman must battle the elements and odds to survive. In fourth, we have the most hated man on the internet. Netflix moves really quickly because I can't believe we already have a David Zaslav documentary. <laughs> no, unfortunately, this is uh, a documentary about revenge porn website and just a, just a horrible story uh, all around and, and getting rid of that disgustingness off, uh, off, of, off of the internet. Uh, it was 546 million minutes viewed for three episodes. Yeah, I remember Kim and I slogging through these titles in the What's New segment. <laughs> as Keep Breathing, Most Hated Men. Yeah. Oh, at, yes. at no point did any of these scream to us hit, and yet here no. they are. Nope. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. You just never know when there might be one of these super weird movies or shows that will show up in these. 
rankings. I, I'm convinced some of these shows make it just due to autoplay. But that, that's what Netflix felt like you should you should watch after you finish watching like Stranger Things or Virgin River. And people, I don't know, they didn't turn the TV off. I have no idea. It's very weird. Mostly this is stuff we've seen before in the rest of the list. And fifth is Blown Away. Yes, the reality competition series for glass blowers. 443 million minutes for, for 30 episodes because the new season arrived with last week's ratings. And sixth is Amazon Prime's The Terminalist. Still here, 427 million minutes. Still not renewed. Uh, seventh, Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous, the animated series with 49 episodes, 406 million minutes. The Umbrella Academy, 399 million minutes. Car Masters, Rust to Riches, 397 million minutes for 32 episodes. The fourth, the fourth season of eight episodes. We've seen the show before. The fourth season of eight episodes arrived July 27th. And wrapping up originals, Only Murders in the Building, finally spelled properly by Nielsen. 391 million minutes for 16 episodes to this point. Uh, movies still led by The Gray Man that premiered last week. Uh, this week it has 1.3 billion minutes. That's actually about pretty flat from what we saw with the premiere. And that's probably not a not the best sign, but <laughs> no, that, that didn't that didn't fully collapse is 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 good. But to have about the same in your first in, in seven days, this, the next seven days after the first three doesn't bode well for the future typically, especially with what this cost. Yeah, no, this this project, this whole franchise is probably dead at this point. We do have something new in second. Uh, this is Purple Hearts. Mm. Uh, five, 508 million minutes. Well, we called that. Yeah. It's your five hanky romance sweeper. While I've got you here, watch Sophia Carson in Adventures in Babysitting. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she is the yes, she is the, the lead in, in Purple Hearts. And according to Netflix's information, this may do much better next week. Sad to say. Sad to say. I've had it up to here with your anti Sophia Carson agenda. <laughs> uh most of the less than the movies list we've seen before it's not a it's a quiet week in ratings this week sing 2 is still here 471 million minutes uh the sea beast from netflix in fourth 321 million minutes disney plus occupies most of the rest of this list is fifth is in Kanto, 240 million minutes uh recurrence this is this one is, is from netflix 223 million minutes please tell me recurrence has been there before tim <laughs> <laughs> that that would be uh, serendipitous, but no, this appears to be an Argentinian movie that I don't recall if we talked about or not, considering how deep we dive into the foreign content Netflix pumps out every week. But somehow here it is. Anyway, uh, as we said, as I said, the rest of the list is Disney Plus content. Moana in seventh, 194 million minutes. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, 161 million. Turning Red, 142 million. And Zombies 3, still here, 139 million minutes. My only takeaway there is Doctor Strange is definitely following the same pattern as Eternals, and that's not good. Uh, Acquired is, well, actually, I'll call it nine shows we've seen before, at least this time led by Cocomelon, so all is right with the world. 696 (laughs) minutes for its 18 episodes. Welcome back. Uh, Alone is still here, still credited to Netflix and Hulu, but down to fourth, 468 million minutes after inexplicably being the top show for for two weeks. Uh, There are two HBO Max shows, one of the two we've seen before, that's Big Bang Theory. The other one happens to be not Friends, but Game of Thrones. In seventh, 368 million minutes for 73 episodes. Here is some pre-gaming for House of the Dragons. And... Tim, you had to spell it out for me. Why is this an acquired show? Yes, you you were annoyed <laughs> that it was acquired. Uh, however, the final season of Game of Thrones aired in 2019. So it may have possibly aired simultaneously on HBO and HBO Go, HBO Now, HBO, one of those other things that, that all eventually got folded into HBO Max because that did not premiere until 2020. So yes, technically this is second run content for HBO and therefore acquired. Okay, I'll allow it. 
good. <laughs> thank, thank God. Yeah, so this is overall a very quiet week. We do have some bangers coming next week. Uh, we have in shows, we will original content, we will have the arrival of Sandman season one. Uh, in And in movies, we actually have non-Netflix content because we should have numbers for both Prey and from Disney Plus, Lightyear. So I look forward to seeing where those land. Nice. Yeah. Mm. All right. That's all I have for this week. All right. In our green lights and cancellations this week, Netflix announced that Schitt's Creek's Dan Levy will be joining Sex Education for its fourth season. This is stunt casting, but it sure is getting them uh, some attention. And this might actually give them a bump in uh, in their ratings. I want Dan Levy cast in pretty much everything, but this still isn't the news that has my full attention, is it, Kim? No, because after months of silence, there's a glimmer of hope for Bioshock fans as Netflix has announced that Francis Lawrence, the director of the Hunger Games franchise, has been brought on board to direct the Bioshock movie. Please, 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 for the love of God, do this and get it right. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah, but then there's the next story. I was going to say because then we go to the because <laughs> then we go to the Froger is cursed because in a surprise to no one, Resident Evil is canceled after only one season. Yeah, we'd seen this coming. It's hey, definitely- hey, guess, guess what wasn't on the ratings this week after two weeks, just two weeks after its <laughs> premiere. Yeah, that's how you get canceled. They cast Wesker well. That's the only nice thing I can say about this series. And that's coming from people who are passionate about Welcome to Raccoon City, which is not the best received Resident Evil movie. All right. Finally, Steve Blackman's got fans at Netflix. His series, The Umbrella Academy, has been renewed for a fourth and final season at the streamer. But don't worry about him. After he's done, Netflix has him working on an adaptation of the PlayStation game Horizon Zero Dawn, as well as Orbital, a drama set on the International Space Station. I'm just happy to hear that there's actually going to be a fourth and final season of the Umbrella Academy because the way he's written each of these seasons and and how he's always left it on a cliffhanger. Thank you for letting him finish the story. And please do the same for Sandman. Yes, please. All right. There's rarely good news for anything at HBO Max these days, as we've talked about, but they know a bona fide hit when they see one. And so Nathan Fielder's surreal reality show, The Rehearsal, is getting a second season. So, yeah, I've seen people talking about this and I still don't know what it is, but I had to laugh because when Kim and I joined the podcast tonight, Tim was explaining <laughs> it to Raul and it was breaking everyone's brain. This this sounds like mescaline as a television series. We, we will talk more about this, but I, I was it, was it was more Raul explaining it to me. But and I have I have not watched it, but I attempted to grasp the we'll, we'll talk more about it. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. (laughs) On the other hand, another Cartoon Network animated project for HBO Max is getting cut as the family film Driftwood is no longer in production. I don't know what it is about Cartoon Network and why David Zasloff hates it so much, but man, he hates that (laughs) cable network. (sighs) 
As mentioned earlier, Bad Robots series, my glory was I had such friends has been scrapped by Apple TV Plus after Jennifer Garner left the project. This was based on the Amy Silverstein book, whose rights Bad Robot acquired in 2017. Maybe next time they'll acquire the rights to a book with a shorter title. There you go. Bloomhouse will be producing the film House of Spoils for Amazon Prime Video, starring Ariana DeBose as a chef who opens her first restaurant on a remote estate. It's written and directed by Bridget Savage Cole and Danielle Crudy, who previously did Blow the Man Down for Amazon. Everything about this is great. I actually watched early in the pandemic, Blow the Man Down on Amazon Prime. This is, uh, in fact, a horror-ish movie. And Rana Bois is uh, riding high off of her success recently, especially uh, given her recognition of West Side Story. So I think uh, they're putting together quite a strong project there. Disney Plus is tackling yet another young adult series as they've announced the cast to their upcoming The Spiderwick Chronicle series. Twin brothers Jared and Simon will be played by Lion Daniels and Noah Cottrell. Disney should do a series on the Chronicles of Pridean next. <laughs> yes, they should because it's awesome. And we shall never speak of that again. Over at Peacock, Joe Pesci is coming out of retirement as he's joining Pete Davidson's upcoming comedy series, Bupkiss. In other news, Joe Pesci was retired. <laughs> Did anyone even know who Pete Davidson was when Joe Pesci stopped working? <laughs> I doubt it. I don't think he had been born yet. <laughs> Lastly, Tubi continues to follow through on its threat to put forth original content on its platform. They'll be premiering an Alone in the Dark movie in October. It's a somewhat known brand and it's a horror movie coming out in October. So good for Tubi. (laughs) All right. As always, we close out the show with what's been keeping us busy over the past week and... David and I did watch House of the Dragon last week, and I think it got off to a solid start. I think there's some intrigue there. It's more what was good with Game of Thrones than what was bad. And, you know, Doctor Who isn't a bad, bad guy as Damon. So I definitely would say give it a shot if you haven't. What what makes you so sure he's a bad guy? Well, that's true. I think he might be complicated, right? As are most of the characters on that show. We all thought Khaleesi was a nice person. We saw how that worked out. (laughs) Yep, that's true. Raul, how about you? Well, I've been catching up on a lot of streaming lately. And this week I binged all of Nathan Fielder's The Rehearsal on HBO Max in just one night. It's not really a heavy lift. It's only six episodes and they're each only about 30 minutes long. The premise superficially, and I have to emphasize that, isn't a spoiler. It's in the trailer. Fielder, who's already done offbeat reality programs with his Comedy Central series, Nathan For You, takes his behavior one step further as he's going to find people who have been avoiding difficult personal situations in their lives and then puts them through countless rehearsals so they can be prepared for any eventuality. I'll tell you, Even knowing the premise, when Nathan first presents this to his initial willing victim five minutes into the episode, I'm incredulous. I I mean, I knew he was going to do this. I knew he was going to tell him about this. And still, when he said it, I was still, wait, what? 
surely this can't be real. Yet that does appear to be what he's doing here, going so far as to hire actors and build a full replica of a bar so that he and his guest can cover every awkward <laughs> scenario. Yeah, we, we need to talk about this show for a minute because now I have not watched it, but I have seen multiple people that we all know just straight up lose their minds over this show. Not just because it's it's amazing television, but just because of what the premise and the concept. So I, I read the premise of the show on the Wikipedia page, and then I watched the trailer, and then I read the episode description. So yeah, you, you think it's going to be, after this first episode, you think it's going to be an entire season of what you were just saying, where they take he takes someone through a, through a scenario over and over again, builds elaborate replica sets of what they're practicing. But, but then he, he just... He he turns the concept, like, I guess, on himself. That certainly seems to be what he does by the end of the first episode when he himself, Nathan, finds himself having to confess his own awkward confession to the guest he has on the show. And so that unto itself really just turns the whole premise on its head. And so you're left wondering, wow, this is crazy. But oh boy, things really go off the rails by episode two and it hijacks the series as the second scenario really undergoes a kind of inception as Fielder gets pulled into the experiment. He becomes part of the awkward scenario and he then starts rehearsing his own scenarios, going so far as to hire actors to play him in scenarios. It's an utter mind f- to watch, except by the end, I really am not buying any of it. Before I even had watched the last episode, I'm seeing it all. I'm seeing all the pieces. Most people who have watched the rehearsal really just accept it at its face value. Certainly it it gets weird and and people think, oh, wow, really? That goes off the rails. That's unusual. There's stuff going on here that we really can't discuss without spoiling how utterly weird it is. I'm not going to spoil that for you. But at the same time, I just don't believe it. I'll accept that there is some innocent people involved here that are almost like collateral damage to Fielder's excessive weirdness. But I'd go so far as to say that Fielder is like this Andy Kaufman-esque method comedian trying to pull off his own Borat thing. There's too many coincidences, too many people acting like one-dimensional caricatures, which I feel really is Fielder's blind spot when he scripted all this out. There's too many absurdities to believe that everything that we see happening as they present it can really be as they presented it. There's some obvious incongruities, like how in episode one, they give us a premise that in episode two, they throw it all out and then just create an entirely new premise for the rest of the series. How does that happen other than to believe that it was intentional all along? The civilians here, they're like stage dressing. Fielder is the real protagonist and we're the mark to this grift. All that being said, evidently the rehearsal can be enjoyed on multiple different levels. There's some stuff, especially near the end that's going to be really upsetting. It may even make you angry, especially when you realize the price some people paid for our entertainment, but it's a fascinating experiment to watch. All right, Tim. So I finished the season of Only Murders in the Building. Yay. Um, yay. Yes. It didn't live up to the first season for me, I mean, it's, but it's still great. I was w- wondering where they were going with it for a while. And then they 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 did get me back with the, the last episode, which I did, while very good, I did think had a twist for the sake of the twist rather than wrapping it up neatly with, with a bow. But I, I, I did, did enjoy it. I did like how they set up the third season. 
already because we knew that, that was going to happen. It was a little weird, maybe that it was almost like the last like I don't know ten minutes of the episode rather than like you mm-hmm. know the last like two. But yeah, no, I, I I'm excited considering how quickly they turned around uh, the second season. I'm hoping they do the same with with the third, and, and so I would expect it to be back you know sometime maybe earlier in 2023. But yeah, if uh, the first season was uh was an A A plus, this one's probably you know A minus. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed this season. I it wasn't it didn't have the same quite humor, but it was still very yeah. Oh, it's it's poignant in places yeah. and yes. there are there are some uh, laughs, but it's not it, there's less emphasis on the on the comedy uh, aspect as there was in the in the first season. But yeah, there's there's still some some things that make you chuckle. I really enjoyed watching Mabel kind of really come into her. And really, I adore Selena Gomez now. I like did not really like think much of her. I'm like, okay, yeah, she was in the Disney Machine, and then you know she sings. Okay, now now I'm like like wow, she's fantastic yeah she's and i can't wait up. for for her to do do more acting in the future hopefully absolutely and david so the other thing we did is we uh started top gun maverick and i have to say that uh while kim fell asleep which means we have 45 minutes left of it what we watched absolutely lived up to the hype and then some it is the right kind of modernized nostalgia they take highlights from the first film and they improve them for current audiences i am very very hard to impress when it comes to scripts and storytelling and i was just nodding the whole time going oh that's really good so that's pretty much the highest praise i can give and tim's wrong only murders in the building season two is better than season one Tim's as wrong about this as he is CM Punk. It's as that simple. (laughs) (laughs) And you can't be more wrong about CM Punk than Tim is. Uh, We'll see. Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at StreamingIntoTheVoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider rating us and giving us a review in your favorite podcast player. Be sure to watch for us again next week. 